You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. All right, I'm here. Aaron's here. This show's presented by Window Nation. If you're in the market for Windows, call 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com and tell them we told you to call Chris Cooley shortly. Uh, Tim Legler on the show today, and we'll talk a lot of Redskins with Tim Legler. He's a huge Redskins fan. Uh, He follows the team as closely as anybody outside the market, and he enjoys talking football uh, as much, if not more, than talking uh, about the NBA. We'll do both with Tim when he is here. All right, some news from yesterday, last night. The Caps got a win last night to snap their two-game skid. They beat Minnesota 5-2, and the return of Tom Wilson not only featured a goal that he scored in the first period, uh, but also uh, included a fight. Uh, it wouldn't be a Tom Wilson game without uh, great uh, great play and great drama, and he brought both to the table last night. And on that goal, Aaron, there was like goalie interference simultaneously. How did the goal count? Did the goalie interference come after the score? Yes. Must have. Yes, that's what the, he shot it, it. It crossed, and then it was goalie interference, which makes me wonder how it's goalie interference. I don't. That, that, that was an odd thing. Um, yeah. But anyway, they got the win, a good win against a pretty good Minnesota team. Last night also, how about Georgetown's win at Illinois? Now, Illinois is predicted to finish near the bottom of the Big Ten this year. They don't have a good team. But still, Georgetown got a road win uh, at a Power 5 place, and Illinois' place was packed last night. And by the way, the Illini were eight-point favorites in the game last night. And Georgetown went in there, won the game 88-80, big plays late in the game, and their freshman backcourt of Akinjo and Matt McClung combined for 31 points, 11 assists. And this guy McClung, all right, if you haven't seen him play, white kid, 6'1", with ridiculous hops. Uh, he was a YouTube sensation. Um, and they are recruiting better. And I said this about Georgetown last year after watching them a few times at CJ's urging. Uh, Chris Johnson, program director at 980. He's like, you got to watch him. Tell me what you think. I thought they were well-coached last year. I thought they were a well-coached team. And if Patrick gets players... Georgetown's on the rise. I don't know if this is the year. I don't know if they make it to the tournament this year. I think they're picked sort of in the middle towards the back end of the Big East this year. I, I think they're they're picked as more an NIT team. So last year they missed yeah. everything. They're picked more as an NIT team this year. It's a but, good win for them. Yes. It's a good win for them. They'll have another opportunity for a huge road win at Syracuse in December before they get into their Big East schedule. All right, a couple of other things real quickly. The NFL game uh, canceled Mexico City. Did you see that field that they weren't going to that they're not going to play Unbelievable on? Unbelievable it ever got that bad. It, it's it, the players started to talk about boycotting the game. Once that happened, the NFL bailed on it. Uh, they had sort of this precondition to the deal of playing in Mexico City that the team that was losing or giving up the home game also had to have their stadium clear in the event that something like this happened. And so the two 9-1 and teams, uh, really the Monday night matchup, the game of the year at this point, Kansas City and the Rams will be played in Los Angeles. And that matchup of the two 9-1 and teams is the best Monday night matchup since 1990 when the 49ers and Giants were both 10-1 and facing each other that season. And the Niners won the game 7-3. to And it was the first of two games that year. The second was in the NFC Championship game at Candlestick. Really one of the great NFL games of all time. The Giants 15-13 win over the Niners to stop the Niners' attempt at a three-peat. 
so that's it. Uh, Le'Veon Bell uh, did not report in Pittsburgh. And I would just say this about Bell. I'm a massive fan of his game and have been since the time you know, he started in Pittsburgh out of Michigan State. I just love watching him run. It's a unique style, a totally unique style, I think. The only guy that we've ever, in, in these conversations in the past, the, from a guy from the past that sort of has that hesitation, that patience. Marcus Allen had some of that in his day. Um, look, James Conner's good. He's not Le'Veon Bell. Uh, he's a good back, and he's a hell of a replacement. And it's a great story, the James Conner story, going back to Pitt when he had cancer and beat it. Um, Le'Veon Bell, though, I've missed watching him play this year. All right, before we get to Cooley, I wanted to play something that Max Kellerman said yesterday on First Take. First Take is the show with Stephen A. Smith. Um, I'm not a big fan of the show. I shouldn't say that. I don't watch the show. I have a son that watches it religiously and loves Stephen A. And I will say this about Stephen A. Smith. I've said it before. He's great at what he does. Great at what he does. Uh, I don't have strong feelings either way about Max Kellerman. I know that he is a major anti-Redskins name guy. I've always enjoyed him on the HBO boxing coverage with Lampley and Roy Jones. But this is what he said yesterday on First Take in, in reaction to the Josh Norman and DJ Swearinger comments about the Redskins fans and sort of the erosion of the fan base and the lack of a home field advantage. Dan Snyder, who stubbornly, wrongly, and offensively uh, refuses to change the racist name of the Washington franchise, to whom I will not refer, um, took, bought the team in 99 I was down there in 2002 hosting Around the Horn. Um, Still cracks me up you were on that show. When I tell you, I was the original host, yeah. when I tell you that that town is a football town, is a professional Washington team football town, I'm talking about when they rehired Joe Gibbs, everyone from the little old blue-haired lady walking in the street to the cab driver to everyone everyone you know dc has this cab sharing thing you can't you know, this pre-uber and all this stuff so you were talking to people constantly everyone in town was talking about gibbs rfk stadium was rocking even when they weren't good that town was so committed they didn't care about jordan coming back for the wizards you could hear a pin drop and they were about a 500 team that year but the Washington football team, they were committed. What has happened to that fan kind of passion in Washington since Snyder has owned the team? It has steadily dissipated year over year over year. It's a horribly mismanaged franchise. And there are also those turned off by the name like me. Okay, um, so a couple of things. Number one, I'm not going to you know dwell or, or spend a lot of time on sort of him talking about RFK Stadium when Joe Gibbs game came back for a second time rocking. Um, they weren't in RFK Stadium then. Uh, they left RFK uh, after the 96 season and moved into FedEx in 97. Uh, th that's not what I want to spend time talking about. You know what I want to spend time talking about. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time about this. I will just start with this. The name, the name thing has little to nothing to do with why the team has been losing support over the years. Little to nothing, closer to nothing to do with it than even little. 
Um, number one on the list is losing. Number two on the list is classless and embarrassing losing. Um, the uh, the dislike for management, the owner, the various general managers uh, that the owners had here over the years, and throw into the mix the bad stadium, the stadium location, the stadium setting, the stadium atmosphere, all of the things that we hate uh, about FedEx Field. Those are the reasons. Okay, it's losing, it's the uh, the arrogance, and it's the stadium. The name not anywhere near the top of that list. Uh, And why? Because the Redskins for over a half a century, more than that, uh, approaching three quarters of a century, um, whenever you use the word Redskins, nobody really uh, puts it in the same sentence with Native Americans. It means the professional football team that plays in Washington, D.C. When you say the the word Redskins, uh, it's the group of players who play for the professional football team in D.C. Nobody walks into a restaurant and meets friends and one of the friends says, hey, there are two Redskins at the end of the bar. Nobody says, oh, there are two Native Americans at the end of the bar. Nobody says that. Not for a half century. They'll say, who is it? Is Josh Norman here? Alex Smith? Who are the Redskins that are here? That's why I have advocated many times over for a second non-pejorative dictionary definition. I think it's time for that. It would be Redskins noun means the professional football team that plays in Washington, period. Look, I don't want to get into all the polls, the Post poll, the Annenberg poll, because whenever I get into all the polls, people like Max Kellerman will say, well, you know, they were phone polls and they didn't know that the people that they were talking to were Native Americans or they didn't poll enough tribes or they only polled certain tribes. Look, I will assure you that the Washington Post wasn't trying to influence the results of the poll. In fact, if they were, They wanted, more likely than not, they would have preferred the opposite of the results that they got, which were 9 out of 10 Native Americans are not offended by the Redskins' name. And every time this comes up, this is the answer you get. You get, well, they don't know that the person that they were polling on the other end was actually Native American, or they didn't identify with a specific tribe, and the tribes that they were with, fine, I mean, and I've said this a million times, I'm an open-minded person and I would change my mind on this issue in a heartbeat if the evidence pointed to the contrary, but it hasn't. And every time you hear, oh, the polling isn't right uh, or the polling is outdated. Remember for years, the Annenberg poll is outdated. Okay, so the Post comes out with a poll in 2016 overwhelmingly saying that Native Americans that they've polled uh, say that it's not uh, a, a, an offensive term. And yet then we hear, well, the polling's not right. The polling's inaccurate. The phone polling isn't right. The tribes, etc. Okay, show me the other poll then. Show me the other poll. Show me the poll that says that 9 out of 10 that have been polled from all of these different tribes and all of these ways that you definitively prove that the person that you're talking to on the other end of the phone is actually Native American say that they're highly offended by the team name. We've gotten to a point now where it is time for a dictionary second non-pejorative definition. It makes sense because for over a half century or closer to three quarters of a century now, when you say Redskins, it doesn't mean something insensitive. To almost anybody, it means the professional football team that plays in Washington. All right, let's bring in Chris Cooley, uh, who's got his own podcast, redskins.com, and any other place you want to 
uh, you listen to podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, tune in all of them. Uh, he's doing his film breakdown twice a week. So uh, go listen to his podcast, please. Uh, he's also joining us on my podcast um, every once in a while. Actually, we're doing it once a week, I think, something like that. Um, before, we're doing it on occasion, aren't we? Yeah, we're doing it on, an, uh, when we on can. occasion. When we can. When you're available and you've got a phone that works, which today... That's not really how this works, but no. yeah. All right, let's. Uh, I want to get to a lot of the stuff that came out of the game um, and some of it non-football related, Josh Norman, DJ Swearinger, but let's start with Tampa. What was your big takeaway from the win in Tampa? I think it's a big win in Tampa, don't you? Yes. Huge. I do. I think it's a big win because I think it's a huge loss if you lose the ball game. <laughs> um, for a lot of reasons, I think it would have been a big loss. I mean, obviously, the you're back a game in your division. It's the season. But you can't go to Tampa and lose at this point. You just can't. I, I think there's so much that, that that's hinging on this team winning a couple more games for people to believe, for the team to believe, for the confidence to grow, for the organizational confidence to grow. They had to win that game. It would have been bad to lose to Tampa. And I like the way they played. I actually surprisingly like the way they played on offense. I think they're closer than I've thought they were in the last three weeks. Why? They found some rhythm. And Alex Smith looked better. He threw the ball actually pretty well in this game. He missed a couple throws. Of course, he missed a couple throws. But I thought he played at the best level he's played at since maybe Green Bay or back to early in the season. And that was really because he just hit a big a couple big throws. Um, really did a good job with his protections, slid his line, got him checked into the right plays, draws on second and long, did a good job getting back down in distances when he had to, thought he delivered a couple strikes throughout the game. Um, I, I thought he played with confidence, and I thought that offense, offense moved with confidence and tempo, especially as they got into the second half. I... I was I gave him a, a B minus C plus, which was the highest grade I've given him since the Green Bay game, and I I thought that he got into some rhythm too, and I thought the play he made um, on the touchdown throw was the kind of play we've been wanting him to make. Um, you know, extending the the pocket and and creating extra time, especially in the red zone, and making a big throw. But I I thought there was still some inaccuracy there, even on some of his completions. But obviously. You know, when you say he's playing with a lot more confidence, what does a miss? If you so, I want to play this game with you okay. because I I did the film breakdown and I watched it all, and I thought he played at a B plus, which and you know I don't give it away, right? Right. Yeah, I mean that's what I graded him out as. I, I, there are some throws that I remember throughout this game, or that you could, we can go through that sometimes aren't always him. Like I'll give you a great example of a throw that's not him. Michael Floyd. Michael Floyd behind him. Yeah. Michael Floyd's running a deep in route. It's called a dagger route, and that's what that concept is. And, and it's not just Jay's concept. This is a concept that I ran all the way back to Joe Gibbs, which we called 494. Fours were ins, nines were goes. So you have a, a seam route up the middle and then a deep in route. That's really got to be at least 15, but you want to get 18 to 20. That's the way it's run best. That's the separation. And then underneath it, the tight end will run about a six to eight yard hook route. So the tight end's trying to hold the underneath defender. The seam's trying to clear the safeties, and Floyd's coming in at a big hole behind it in the middle. Well, on that seven step drop on that concept, when Floyd comes in and he breaks it about 12 or 13, that's too early for Alex to let that ball go. And that hole hasn't opened up enough in the middle, and he puts it a little bit behind him. And it's really common when 
receivers run in routes, especially rolled in routes at short breaking distances for those balls to be on their back shoulder. I thought it was a great ball by Alex. So what does, because I actually thought on the touchdown drive, it looked like he was getting into some rhythm, getting some confidence, the throw to, to Mo Harris on third and nine. The throw slant. to Doxon on the sideline was huge. Yep, the, the throw to, to the, the slant to Jordan Reed. However, you say confidence, and, and I wonder what the miss to Vernon Davis deep for what would have been an easy touchdown and would have made his whole entire day look much more like, a, to me, a B-plus, A-minus day. Um, but he misses it, and he misses it badly, I would think. I don't know how you described it on your podcast. What is the, why, is the, why is that happening, and don't you think that that gets him back to that level of still not sure, which you've said before, that he isn't playing with, with a lot of confidence and, and a lot of belief at this point? First of all, uh, <laughs> Alex said to me, uh, Vernon runs that down five years ago. Secondly, he didn't miss it badly because badly would have been back behind him or making him slow down for the ball where you allow a DB to come in for a play. He didn't make a great throw because he could have put more air on it because Vernon had the entire field run under that ball. So I, I get that he missed the throw. There's no doubt about it. I'm not trying to take him off the hook for it. I think that's a throw that he'll – he hasn't made a lot of those throws this year to any receivers. He hasn't made a throw to Vernon like that in forever. He needs to be making those throws so he can see where he's missing. It was funny. I go back to Al Saunders, and Al always said, when a ball's thrown out in front of you like that, you need to put your arms out as far as you can or jump or dive or make some real effort for the ball so the quarterback can actually see exactly where he missed so he knows where to put it the next time. Now, I didn't think it was that I, – I thought it was off for sure. It's – I mean, in the reality of it, 50 yards downfield, it's, it's just a tick off. I guess the other thing I would just say is that I, I too, and I said this uh, on the podcast Monday and yesterday, that I, I, too, have this sense that it's going to get better and that the last two weeks we've seen moments of it being better. But the thing that, that, that puts the brakes on it for me is that their last two opponents have been torched by everybody that's played them with the exception of one team. And that's the Redskins. Like Tampa's been, you know, scored on, moved on. <clears throat> Atlanta, the same thing. I mean, Cleveland, for crying out loud, scored 28 points and rolled up 400 plus yards on Atlanta a week after the Redskins could barely budget against the, the, the Falcons. So that's why I'm cautionary on believing that some of these moments the last two weeks is somehow building towards a much better offensive football team because they're going to play better defensive teams now. Yeah, they'll play better defensive teams, but they've played exactly the same type of football against better defensive teams like when they played Dallas. There was almost nothing different offensively when you played the Dallas Cowboys True. than when you played Atlanta. They do have to run the ball better. Um, Alex is getting better. But for, first of all, that offensive line's going to be fine. You're going to get Trent wet back soon. Jonathan Cooper looked like a first-round draft pick in that game. <laughs> he made some mistakes. He had a couple holds that yeah. were absolutely holds. He's, you can tell that he's not quite in football shape. But if you want to go back and watch some film for fun, go get the All-22 and watch that guy move laterally. He's an athlete, man. I like that we have Jonathan Cooper. I actually said yesterday on my podcast, that's an upgrade from left guard from anything we've had over the last couple of years. Really? He's, he's just always been hurt. 
Kevin. Yeah. So he almost had a career ender in Arizona after he was drafted number 10 overall. Bounced around a little bit. Played 13 games for Dallas a year ago. Went to training camp and apparently was really banged up in training camp this year. And so really hasn't been able to run, move, do everything he needed to do over the last couple months. And, you know, they kind of just said, look, we, we're going to sign some guys. Just please come in here and, and work out. And it, and it worked out for us. I loved him on tape. You know, I did. I thought he was. I thought he was terrific. Now my concern would be injury for that guy. So how long is he going to make it? But as he grows in this offense, he looked very good at left guard. It would I be. Promise you that. I'll tell you one thing, uh, and I don't think I've mentioned it. And I don't know if you've mentioned it. You know, over the last couple of years, when they've had some of these injuries, they found some players: Mason Foster, uh, Zach Vigil. Um, you know, they they actually remember Will Blackman. Will Blackman, uh, you know, isn't here anymore. How about this the center they pulled off the street, Sullivan, who is starting right in in Los Angeles, the starting center for the Rams. Right. So they have actually found some guys midseason. I wanted to get to the running game because you and I had a conversation either yesterday or the day before, and you said that the running game right now is out of sync. How so, and how do they fix it? I want to be very careful with how I do this. Okay. And I did this yesterday on my podcast, and I almost want to be more careful. Adrian Peterson missed four or five cuts that he has to make, and those were cuts where he had a choice to go downhill or to bounce, and he chose to bounce. When I say very careful, I think that there's some caution on Adrian Peterson's part in terms of not taking a hit on his shoulder. That's a guess. That is a speculation and a guess. And it might even be a subconscious decision that he's making. But there were three or four cuts, especially later in that game, where he had zone look cuts and could have cut in between the tackles and tight end, and he chose to bounce those plays. He's also bouncing our favorite play, duo, which is an A-gap dive play, like the new power play. And in that play, you're essentially on the edges getting the tight ends to turn inside, to turn their butts to the inside, to make sure that the defensive end and the outside backers don't get inside of them. And he's bouncing it outside of them more times than he's hitting it inside of them. He's bouncing a ton of plays right now. And hmm. I think he's got to go downhill more. You know There's he... that Shanahan theory of two, two, three, four, ten, bust one. And I, until you start hitting it hard and downhill, you're not going to bust one. And, oh, by the way, when the defense – believes that they're going to string it out, the play action isn't as, as, as effectful. How about so that one? I, I think he's got to get downhill. This isn't the entire season. This is, a, this is a this week thing when I talk about this. But, you know, maybe here was my fun, fun suggestion because of what a competitor AP is. If there was anything to it and you thought there was anything to it, play someone else for 10 plays of his. You know, he had 19 carries, give him 12. And I'll bet you the next week he turns it down into the hole. Well, the the one play that sticks out was when they ended up scoring the touchdown on the third and five at the Tampa Bay six. What set up the second and 14 scramble play was this four-yard first down loss that looked strange to me. It, it He didn't really attempt to fight to get back to the line of scrimmage on that particular run. You know the play I'm talking about. So that's out to the right side. And it was like one of those bounce plays, and, and it looked like he might have something initially, and, and he just didn't. I don't think he's running out of gas, but there's – and I don't think he's really that banged up that we should worry about it. But I think there was, there was something there that wasn't – here's what I'd say. 
Watch AP in the first preseason game that he played for the Redskins and watch AP the way he ran in the last game. Was it the same? Uh, and the answer is no. And so you, you have a decision here as a coaching staff. Maybe there's something they knew. Maybe there's something he knew and you didn't care. You wanted to take it at 75 or 80%. Maybe there's not. And if there's not, then you think about manipulating carries to someone else to some, to some extent. Well, who, who, P. Ryan or Bibbs? Well, you got P. Ryan and you got Bibbs and you got Byron Marshall, who you, you've really brought back from the injured reserve, and they have uh, 21 days to choose if they want to activate him or not, which they should do because they can only bring back two, and they've already brought him back and designated him. And then you have Mac Brown on the practice squad. I don't know who. I don't know what they're doing with P. Ryan. I don't know their thoughts on him. He's only gotten a couple carries. You would have thought late in that last game up that you didn't need to give Adrian Peterson the last few carries that P. Ryan could have easily taken him, but they didn't want to give him the ball, or maybe AP demanded that he get those carries. I'm not sure, Kevin. Those were the I'm best really carries sure of the game exactly for him. What you do. Those were the best carries of the game for him at the end on that final drive. Yeah, he did have a couple good carries to finish the game. He also, on the last drive, had a couple carries that he missed. So. All right, let's flip it to the other side uh, for a moment. Why did the defense give up all of those yards um, and you know, and then make massive plays in the red zone? Was this a bend-don't-break strategy from Greg Minuski going into the game? So after the game and talking to, to a lot of the guys on the defense and some of the coaches, it was 100% bend-don't-break. They said 4-2 speed doesn't kill us inside the 20, so we're not going to get beat over the top. In watching the game film, Early in the game, first couple drives, it wasn't really what you call bend, don't break. <laughs> Danny Johnson almost looked like he was playing prevent defense. Right. So there's bend, don't break, and then there's prevent defense. Like, we're going to allow a slant to break in front of our face with nine yards of separation before we really buy it and break. Here's, oh, there he goes. Is he going on the slant for sure? Not a slant and go? No sluggo? Yeah, okay, slant. Yeah, slant. All right, someone else tackle him because he's way in there now. They think he's um, going to be a good player. Here's the other thing that I mean, though, I loved when Stroman. So here's one thing I did like. One of the first bend don't break plays, they threw a dig to OJ Howard. Danny Johnson's about ten yards off OJ Howard, and I'm thinking, I respect Deshaun Jackson and I respect Mike Evans and Galladay if you want to, but OJ Howard should not be able to beat Danny Johnson deep. He shouldn't really worry about OJ Howard beating a corner deep. He's a great tight end. Tight ends don't really smoke corners deep. Let's go play that one. And I loved later in the game that they'd seen that concept and Stroman came up and jumped it and made a play. So they, they, there were some things that they did really, really well. The soft coverage, I think, were choices made in terms of, I'm sure, Minuski talking to his two corners, his young corners, you know, Stroman and Danny, and saying, we're not getting beat deep. It might look bad. We're, we don't care about our stats. We care about not giving up points. And I think what I remember being told was that if the defense gives up five field goals, we'll win the game. And they seriously played that exact somebody, type of defense. Hold on. Somebody said if we give up five field goals, we'll win the game. Like they, they would have. And they would have. 16 to 15, <laughs> it would have worked out. Hey, we give up five field goals. Up. We know our offense can score 16. They might not be able to score <laughs> 17 or eight. Don't give up six field goals. I know. could have been tough had, had it re required more than 16. Well, here, here's the um, other thing about the bend, don't break defense that they played. Had, there, had it not been effective and had they not made some plays in the red zone to stay on top, they may have made adjustments in that ball game. But they made a pick on the first drive. They miss a field goal on the second drive. 
they give up a field goal on, on, I think, the third drive, and then they start creating a couple more turnovers. If you look at their drive chart, how drives ended, it's phenomenal. There's no way anybody's ever been in the red zone that many times and scored three points. Well, it's never happened. I mean, it was unprecedented. Uh, And by the way, that goes back to why our offense really didn't score as many points. Well, that's what I was going to say. There was a point in the first half where before they went on that two-minute drive where they ended up getting three, and it was in the last three minutes of the second half, they had to run 13 total offensive plays. No, I know. I mean, yeah, the the, uh, the Bucks were, I think it was 8, eight 13, and 10, something like that in the first four drives in terms of the number of plays that they ran, and obviously a lot of clock with it. Um, but you just made a point that, that I am interested in. Like, uh, as an example, their first field goal, it was third and 14 or something like that, and Jay threw the, the bubble to Mo Harris. And I, I, I know... I think what he's saying is we're going to be in one of these games again today where we can't make mistakes. We're in field goal range. These field goals are going to be important. I'm not going to ask my quarterback to do too much. Um, I'm not going to ask him to drop back on third and long because it's not a good situation for us. And, And at that point, too, he's not completely confident in the revamped offensive line. And what I'm getting to is I wonder if, let's just say, Tampa had scored a touchdown or two or kicked a few field goals instead of all of the turnovers and missed field goals, if there had been more pressure on the offense to keep pace if they would have been able to do it against that defense? You could say that there would have been, and we can sit here and and think that Jay may have changed the way he called things, but when there's been more pressure to keep pace, this offense hasn't kept pace. Understood. So I, all I can say is the defensive game plan worked, and so there was no real reason to adjust any game plan. All right, let's let's jump ahead because we're we're now you know four days from the matchup with Houston. The Redskins are three point underdogs at home against the Texans, who have won six in a row and are coming in off of their bye week. Um, how much have you looked at Houston so far, and what's your your early gut on the matchup against them? Today's usually the first day that I start to look at Houston. And oddly enough, I was sitting here thinking about it. Like I do all the film, all the offensive film on, on Monday, Tuesday, and I look at all the big plays, and then defensively I do today. And I'm th- sitting here thinking, I, should, I wish I was getting to the film before, uh, the Houston film before Wednesday. I think they're a really good team. But I think they're a team that the Redskins could actually beat if Deshaun Watson turns the ball over. And he will turn the ball over. They've done a good job this year against quarterbacks that move. They've done a good job against against Cam. I'm, I'm not sure, man. I mean, you're looking at two awesome receivers in DeAndre Hopkins and Demarius Thomas. You're looking at a back who's very capable in Lamar Miller. Yep. And then you're looking at a defense that has an a very outstanding front. I mean, J.J. Watt and Jadavian Clowney are – phenomenal and I, I like what they do in the back end as well with Tyron Matthew and, and Justin Reed as a safety you know they have uh, Mike Tyson playing back there as a safety as well so you know uh, you mentioned Lamar <laughs> funny I'm gonna I'm gonna have fun with that one. Y- you mentioned Lamar Miller I think he's been very much underrated uh, during the course of his career and I do think this is one of those games as I thought about it last night for the first time this is another one of those games where they've got to stop the run 
And, you know, sort of like they did, well, against Carolina, just sort of got away from the run. Dallas couldn't run it against the Redskins. Um, and so there, there are some similar, so similarities with Dallas. Watson's better, and but Miller's not as good as, as Elliott. But if they stop the run, I think we're into one of these 1917 games, again, that they're going to have a chance to win if they don't make the big mistakes. Yeah, it's a big, it's a big test to stop the run. The the problem with Houston, I think, different than Dallas, is that their play action game off of the run is so much better than what Dallas had when we played them. And Deshaun Watson's ability to get the ball deep to DeAndre Hopkins, and and now they have Demarius Thomas, who's really going to start to fit into that scheme, makes them makes them a little bit more versatile than Dallas. Stopping the run is going to be big time. You know, Lamar Miller I think is over four yards a carry. Deshaun Watson's over five yards a carry. It's a, it's a challenge. You know, this is also a week that we really do need to run the ball, and I know that sounds crazy, but, you know, you got to control the clock. Houston's only given up 20 points a game. They're ninth in the league against the run. You do have to control the ball at home against the Texans. You can't let that offense continue to build and, and grow and develop plays off of other plays against you because that's what they're best at doing. Yeah, Houston right now sixth in the NFL uh, against the run, and uh, a, a very good, a very good t- and talented playmaking defense as well. All right, last thing, and then I'll let you run so you can go do your podcast. What was the organization's feelings about the comments Josh Norman and DJ Swearinger made about the lack of a home field advantage and about the fans? The organization's feelings. Yeah. What, what was their reaction to it? Do you know? I don't what, think... Were they upset about it? Or not? It's hard to be upset because you, you have a hard time controlling your players. I, I, I don't know how to express that. Okay, well, I guess if you don't... There, I, there's no way that everyone's happy that players are saying our fans aren't responding the way they'd like them to respond. There's no win for DJ or Josh, but ultimately this has turned more organizational than it has individual player. I think it's turned to... And I've listened to, to radio, and I've listened to you every day, and I've listened to all the comments. And the one thing you miss and I miss is, is all the calls. Yeah. And I've listened to calls over the last couple of days. And I, I think my favorite call exists with, with Galdi the other day, and someone said, these two need to shut their mouths <laughs> and, and just go make plays. But FedEx Field sucks. <laughs> You're like, okay, well, so what are you saying? And so everyone's saying that they're right but everyone's saying that they need to shut their mouths. And then because they're saying they're right, you're saying, well, here's why it's bad. And I think that's the one thing that this organization doesn't like right now. And it's an organization with people that are trying to do things the right way. It just doesn't happen overnight. And these players haven't been here long enough to understand the dynamic of, of the fan in D.C. and what's gone on with the Redskins for the last 20 years. And I think the new people that are working in the Redskins organization are, are trying, but it's a process, and it might not be a one-year, it might not be a two-year process. It might, it might, Kevin, be a five- or six-year process before you really believe. Actually, I'll ask you that. Let's say you do things the right way as an organization. You treat people the right way. You respect your fans. You help the fans get tickets. You do everything in the stadium to enhance the experience. How many years before you believe this is really real? 
I mean, I think it's such a personal thing right now because I think people's feelings and emotions tied to this franchise are all over the map. Tommy and I talked about this yesterday. I think there's some people that went from anger to apathy to now they don't even like the team. Um, That's, you know, where I am is I want the Redskins to be relevant in the NFL. I want them to play big games in December. And I think if you have in January, and I think if you've got a division winner that wins 11 games, Let's just say somehow they can win five more games, five and two over the last seven, win the division going away, get a home playoff game against the Bears, all right, or the Packers, um, and win it. Then I think, you know, a lot of that other stuff that they're doing that is right, you know, what, what Brian's trying to do with the organization and, and focusing more on the fan experience and the fan relationship and, 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 and totally trying to eliminate the arrogance and that, that sort of existed uh, with, with the franchise. I think all of that will then start to pay off, but it's, it's, it's getting excited in January about a game that's by itself in a playoff weekend in January where the whole NFL world is focused on your team and you win a game to advance to the next round and you're playing those big games that it's been so long since they've played. I mean, I remember, Cooley, how fired up everybody in this fan base was when Joe Gibbs came back and in year two and you're playing that game which would may have been your best game against the Cowboys in late December to basically get to the playoffs you remember what that stadium was like and then to go on the road and win a game in Tampa and to get fired up for a whole week for a divisional round playoff game against Seattle it needs all of that if you See, get- I think the other thing it needs, though, and I will agree that you need that. You need more than 7-9 and nine or 8-8. Eight and eight. But the other thing that you need is the response from the organization when you do that. Do you win 11 games and win a playoff game, and the organization says, oh, yeah, ticket prices back up, money coming in, here we go. You're right. It's, and it's- so if you can do that and respond in a humble fashion to your fan base, then I think that would be – that would be the fast track, ticket, I guess, to put it ticket easily. Prices, uh, ticket prices, not hanging a banner for the division win, um, you know, being humble and being, you know, uh, accountable and, you know, promise, not promising or over-promising, not then going completely nuts in the free agent market on aging stars, like all of that, you know. Well, they haven't done a, a, I, No, I, I understand I know that, what you're but, saying. It's not, you're not going to win a playoff game and then go spend – Seven trillion dollars on Albert Hainsworth. That's not the direction this organization's going. So I'm not concerned about that. I'm not concerned about that anymore either. I'm just saying these are the things that have happened in the past. Well, everyone understands that have. You know, that have I think everyone understands all effect. of the things that happen, and you can compartmentalize those things in any fashion that you want. It's just what what is this? How does this organization respond? Is going to be critical, even if it's not an 11 and five team. You know, how do they respond year in and year out? And, and it really, I think it's more than a year before a lot of people say, uh, yeah, doing it the right way. I, I, I don't know what that time frame is. Uh, I think it's different for everybody. I will say this, that the, de- the decision of, of where the stadium ultimately ends up is a big one for the organization. Winning's mo- the most important thing, and winning with a level of – of class um, that uh, that hasn't existed uh, is important too, but here's where that stadium I goes, here's is, what I just don't like from the players is we have great fans, and we have great fans that don't pay money to go to games. We have fans that follow 
daily that live and die and breathe, live and breathe, not die, but live and breathe this stuff. And, and it's not that they're always at the game. And, the and majority. They, they, like these, they, they like these players. And I just, when you say something like it's better to play on the road, I just don't want these players to distance themselves from all of the great fans that are, that are in love with this team. That's the one thing that, that I fear, and, I, and you, you and I have talked about this over and over when we did the show, is you cannot win when you challenge a fan's fandom. There's no win there for a player. and I, I, They have to realize that there are so many fans that do go to games and cheer. You have to realize that if there were 5,000 fans in Tampa at the end of the game singing hell to the Redskins, I'm not sure what that number was, that probably over 2,000 of them are in FedEx every week going crazy for you too. They travel. They got on planes and came to Tampa. So it's not just the Tampa fans that are great or the road fans that are great. Those are a lot of our home fans as well. So there are some amazing fans, and more than, more than not, in my opinion. Well, look, the, the bottom line is what they were saying literally uh, is true. It's not a good home field environment, and it would be great if they had a great home field environment uh, down well, the stretch here. It would be great if they won a big game at home. Well, yeah, because you know the truth of the matter is, you know, a great home crowd can be impactful. You know, when we get to a and Philly game, our, to close you know what? Though, even though it hasn't been sold out, that crowd was impactful when we were late in the in, in the, the Carolina Dal- game. The, the crowd the was Dallas impactful game. when yeah. we were late in the Dallas game. You have to remember, this is a crowd and, and a fan base that sat and watched team, this team lose games. Back to me. Back to me being involved of it that you should have won yeah. or have teams come back from from games that you should have taken over i mean it takes time for the players and the team and it is hard for the guys that have been here for one or two years to really realize that but you know we do have good fans i, I believe that wholeheartedly and you and i went to the i mean we went to the caps parade and all the cap stuff yeah. look, at, look at what winning did for that Look, to answer your question, I don't have an answer for your question. I just know winning and winning with humility would really be a huge start. I got to be the best way. I got to go. You got to go. Uh, listen to Cooley's podcast, all of the platforms that you can listen on, plus redskins.com. Uh, and uh, he does the film breakdown, the defensive film breakdown uh, today. So tune in for that. I will talk to you later. Thank you so much. You, you know, the phone was great, too. Appreciate it. No problem. All right. Chris Cooley, everybody. Let me tell you about Window Nation. Uh, If you're hearing your furnace go on and off, over and over and over again, you're wasting money. Your energy bills are going to be much higher. It's time for you to pick up the phone and call Window Nation. I've done it twice over the last decade. Harley and Aaron from Window Nation have provided windows for me and lots of our listeners over the years. And right now, for a limited time, you get two free windows for every two you buy. Buy four, get four free. Buy six, get six free. There's no limit. Plus, get 0% financing for five full years. Save that well-earned money and splurge on your family and friends this holiday season. Act fast, too, because there's still time to get those windows installed by the holidays. And you'll stay toasty indoors while Window Nation's expert installers work room by room to install your new windows. Window Nation has saved customers an estimated $40 million in energy over the years. Call Window Nation today at 866-90-NATION. You get two free windows for every two you buy. Buy four, get four free. There is no limit. Plus 0% interest for five years. 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com today. Tell them that I sent you. 
All right, let's bring in uh, one of my favorite people to talk to about basketball, and even the Redskins for that matter, Tim Legler. And I think many of you know this about Tim from ESPN. Uh, He's a massive Redskins fan. How many games have you gone to? I know you went to the Dallas game, right? Went to the Dallas game, went to the Carolina game. So I went to -to back-to-back down there. I'm going to see them uh, certainly up here when they play the Eagles. Um, and I'm probably going to get down to one more game down there. Yeah, I haven't decided yet. All right, so we'll get to the team in a moment, all right? I want to start with where I left off with Cooley, and that is getting your thoughts on the Josh Norman and DJ Swearinger comments about, you know, the home field or lack of home field advantage. What did you think? Well, I first of all, I I thought, um, you know, it's never smart for a player to do it. It It just how does it help you? by saying that it's not like the fans of DC if, if they feel like they haven't been great lately and look growing up you know going to that stadium back in RFK literally from starting in the early 70s that's how long I've been going to the, to the Redskins <laughs> games um, I know how passionate the fans are about the team I know uh, what that fan base has represented now they might be a little bit apathetic right now and going through something where it's not quite the same at home um, but I don't know how it helps for an athlete to do it. It's not like the fan base will rally around those comments and say, you guys see what Josh and DJ said? we got to get out there and support this team. It's, it, it could have an opposite effect and make playing at home even worse. Um, so I, don't, I just don't think it's ever smart to do it. Uh, there might be some truth into it right now, and you're, you're, you're down there probably more than I am. So um, I went to the Carolina game. I noticed it was a very late arriving crowd but it got pretty raucous by the time you know that they needed them so it might be a little different than years past Kevin but I just don't think it's smart for an athlete to ever make comments that are gonna you know really rile the fans up even more it doesn't help your your overall purpose which is to have a great home field advantage and win games I mean look you you have direct experience with this right playing in this town playing for the basketball team and many nights feeling probably like you were in a road venue when when stars came in from other teams um, you know whether, whether it was the Celtics with you know what, whatever you 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 felt yeah, that no question uh, you you felt no that uh, so let's get to the team. If somebody, if a friend of yours says, "Hey, your Redskins are six and three and, and in first place," and that person hadn't seen a game, how would you describe the team? <laughs> it's funny you say this because I actually just had this conversation with my friends, and I have a pocket of friends up here that live in the Philadelphia area that are huge Redskins fans, and we really connect, you know, throughout the season and watch games together and text throughout the game and everything else. And they ever agreed, I need an intervention. And maybe you can, maybe you can give it to me because my team is six and three. We've got a two-game lead in the NFC East, which could even grow this weekend with Dallas and Philly playing tough road games, and we're at home. So you think you would think in any normal year, I would just be beyond thrilled. Now I expected us to have a good year, so it's not like six and three. I'm going like, wow, we've so far surpassed expectations with wins and losses. I thought we were going to be good. I was excited. I loved Cousins, but when that ship sailed, I was very excited about having Alex Smith come in. I really looked at the division and said, man, we're, we're going to have a really good year. So the 6-3 and three is a, probably about what I was hoping we would be. It's how we look every week where I need the intervention because I can't remember enjoying watching this team less than I've enjoyed them this year. Uh, and I don't know if that's the general consensus, 
down there. I don't know if Redskins fans or how you feel about it. But I find myself most of the game extremely agitated and looking at this team and saying, I don't know, first of all, how we're 6-3, and three, other than the defense has been better maybe than I expected. But it's, it's, you picture us playing some of the really you know, top-shelf teams in this league in a playoff game, and you go, this isn't a viable offensive product to compete with those teams. So even though we're 6-3, and three, you've got to be kidding yourself if you think that this is an offense that, and I tweeted about this, and I called it a high school caliber passing game because that is basically what I've been watching week in, week out. So I'm so conflicted because I should just be happy that we're in first place by two games, but I'm not. I, I have an emptiness about the way our offense is played that it's hard for me to get past. <laughs> well, you're not alone. I mean, there is a sense of – of this six and three being fake um, in a lot of circles and, and Redskin fan circles. I don't think there's any question about it. And the way you just phrased it, I think, is the way everybody thinks. It's like, okay, so Dallas is at Atlanta, Philly's at New Orleans, Philly still has the Rams. Okay, so we're going to win the division. We have a really good chance to win the division, but we have no chance to go to New Orleans or face the Rams or maybe another team or two in the NFC and win when you can't score. Like, when you can't score, it is limiting, um, no matter how good your defense is, and the defense is significantly improved, but it's still not. You know, I've watched some defenses this year. I'll tell you what, I think Dallas's defense is very good. Um, I, yeah, I do too. They're flying all over the place. I agree with you. Uh, I think Tennessee's defense is good. I really loved Baltimore's defense there for a few weeks. Um, but the... But yeah, no, I don't think you're alone. But at the same time, I do, and I've said this going back to when we saw it for the first time, which really was the Carolina game, which is, you know, the NFL formula, Tim, of running the ball, stopping the run, winning the turnover battle, not making mistakes, and and letting the other team lose the game still works enough of the time for you to get to December with a chance to get to the postseason. No, it does. You're right. I mean, if you wanted to say that's the formula still, because those are what you know the, the foundations of your team, and you can still have a successful year and get to the playoffs or at least be playing really meaningful games the last couple weeks of the season, yes. But you're not coming close to going beyond that without a, a viable passing game. And Were you about to look, say I, with, with Alex Smith? You were about to say that. No, I wasn't going to say okay, that. Okay. So I will – the only, the only thing I'll say about Alex Smith, that, and again, I, I was on board with it, and I'm not, I, I haven't written him off. I, I'm shocked at how inaccurate he's been. And, and, I'm, and I'm not talking about you know, necessarily slinging it deep because we know that's not really what he did. I'm talking about the short stuff. Like, if there's one thing I expected out of Alex Smith, now, the fact that he doesn't turn the ball over, is really probably the number one reason that we're 6-3 and three. because if he was playing the way that he was playing and our passing game was this anemic, throwing for 175 yards, uh, you know, and he's, and he's also throwing a pick or two or uh, has a strip sack thrown in there, we're not 6-3. and three. There's no chance. So the fact that he's not turning the ball over is fantastic. So I expected that because he didn't do it in, in Kansas City either. I'm shocked at how inaccurate he is Me too. on short passes. Me too. It's the 
as I've gone through each one of these weeks, I've said over and over again, I just don't remember him being this inaccurate in Kansas City. And now maybe some of his receivers, Kelsey and Hill, et cetera, were making him look good. But, uh, you know, Cooley described it earlier in the year is he had the yips. He he had – well, he had what Markel yeah. Fultz had, yeah. has a little bit. Yep. Um, but I, I – Cooley was just on with me. He saw some progress Sunday. I have felt the same way. I thought the drive down 14 nothing against Atlanta was the best drive for him of the year. I thought the touchdown throw to Doxon was one of the plays we expected a lot of, which is you know in the red zone, extending the play, creating more time, and and making a play, which he did. Um, and you know, I, I don't think it can get any worse. And I would be surprised if it doesn't improve. I don't know how much well, it'll improve, but here's the problem too, Tim, is they just played two bad defensive teams, two that everyone else has torched. Right. And right. and we 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 the Redskins had 14 and 16 points against these two teams. When you see some of the numbers from the Tampa Bay game going into the game, how bad Tampa Bay's defense was, and then coming out of the game, uh, historic game, and the in the fact that they had 500 plus yards, <laughs> five trips to the red zone, and scored three points. No one's ever done that in the history of football, not just the NFL. I don't think it's ever happened in a Pop Warner game where a team was in the red zone that often and scored three points. So to say we dodged a bullet would be the understatement of the year. Here's what I don't understand, and this, this I guess, maybe points more directly to Gruden. I don't see the quick one, two, three, hit your back foot, the ball's out, or a five-step quick drop, game. hit your back foot, the ball's out. I, I don't see it. What I see is, Alex Smith, every single time he, he, he drops back, within a matter of a nanosecond, he looks completely confused. Like his head starts spinning around like the exorcist, and he, he has no idea like what, what the progression is or like what his first option was. Now, I don't know if and, – and, and I would like to have you know, an offensive expert or a wide receiver, you know, an analyst, tell me, is it because our receivers are so bad that there's virtually no separation? Or is it because you know, the, the play construction and the patterns are running are so ineffective that they're not helping Alex Smith? Because I've never seen a quarterback look immediately for like, like, like he's running out of a burning building more than Alex Smith does. Like every single time he drops back, it's like I have no idea what his first option was on that snap. And that's what is strange to me. You would think they would have more stuff where – you take some of the progression out of it and some of the region, it's just a one, two, three, boom, get it out. Even if it's a four-yard gain, whatever, he doesn't do that at all. And, and he's constantly behind guys on slants. He missed, you know, Vern the other day finally had a couple guy that he opened deep, and he missed him by five yards overthrown. So I, I think of everything, that's what's probably been the most surprising. Yeah, but- I, I thought he was going to be so accurate on everything under, like, you know, 12 yards, and he's, he's not. And – and it's amazing to me that we're still winning games despite the fact that I personally don't feel like we're, we have a threat whatsoever to score with our passing game by going down the field by completing four or five passes in a row and putting the ball in the end zone like every other team in the NFL does. I think your point about just some of that quick game, some of that quick West Coast game that is Jay Gruden's bread and butter and has been, I don't know why that hasn't worked more often this year either, especially there are certain games, the Colt game in particular, where they were playing soft coverage. It should have been easy pitch and catch right down the field, and maybe you don't succeed in the red zone when you get there, but you're you're moving the ball and you're kicking field goals at least. Um, Let me ask you a question. Can I ask you a question real quick? Quick last yes. thing about this, I want to ask you. 
Um, did it irritate you a little bit when Gruden made the comment, like, he doesn't care if they win 6-3 every week, doesn't matter to him? Um, because the truth of the matter is that's, that's, like just, that's, a, that's a fraudulent statement. Are you happy to be winning games if you're winning 6-3? Yeah, I guess. But if you think you're going to be able to beat the teams you need to when it really matters, 6-3, you're not. So to me that bothered me because it was almost an arrogance. Like, you know, people are upset. All I care about is, is putting, putting you know, check marks in the W column. But the truth of the matter is if you really know football, and, and we have an educated fan base, and I, and I consider myself one of them, I'm watching this product offensively, and I'm going, you know, you mentioned New Orleans and the Rams. We already saw what New Orleans did to us. What The Rams is another level. And then well, what about Philly? What if Philly gets their act together, and they are within two games of us when we have to play them twice in the last month? You think we're going to put up enough points to beat Philly if they get their pass, they they get their their whole team together? Because you know as well as I do, they're capable of finding it and then just going on a six game winning streak to end the year, including beating us twice. So there's six three games that you're winning that you're talking about. You don't care what the score is or how it looks. It's it's not going to be good enough that style and that quality of play offensively to win games when you have to in December and then certainly if you get into the postseason and that's why. That bothered me. And he keeps saying how close the passing game is getting, and I just don't see it. I don't see it getting any closer. I know we miss Crowder. I know we miss Thompson. I know our offensive line is a train wreck. I get it. But I thought Spielman was great on the call on Sunday saying every team is hurt. He doesn't want to hear about injuries because everyone deals with it. It's, 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 it's a way to, you have to overcome it, and that to me falls in the lap of the coaches to, to figure out ways to still be productive and look like a normal offense despite the injuries, and, and we just don't look that way. You know, the truth is the offensive line, Callahan and company, did an incredible job to put it together. Cooley just said he thinks Cooper's better than Laval um, and just hasn't had the well, chances because of injuries over the years. But here's what I would say. I didn't I didn't perceive it the same way, uh, Gruden's comments. In fact, I, I, I wanted to point, I don't think I have this week, so I will right now with you. There was a question posed to him on Monday in his Monday presser about whether or not the arrow was pointing up. And he said, look, uh, there, there's no arrow here. The only thing we're pointed towards is Houston. So I actually really liked that answer. I don't want to hear any more promising or over-promising and under-delivering, which has been the hallmark of this franchise for a quarter century now. Um, I just yeah. I, I just want them dialed in. But I will say this to your point about Gruden. I do think there's some frustration there. This is not – he knows that they're missing a lot of stuff – but I also think there's been at least tiny incremental progress with Smith the last two weeks. I pointed to the drive against Atlanta. I thought that was the best playmaking drive for him of the year when they were down 14 nothing. It didn't lead to anything in terms of a final result. And I thought the play, uh, the two plays, the scramble and then the touchdown pass to Doxon is more of what we saw of him in Kansas City. Now, yeah. the, the problem is is they're going to play much better defensive teams starting Sunday. They get the Texans and the Cowboys back-to-back, yep. -back, two great defensive teams. I will say this, though, about your Eagles comment. I don't, I don't see it. Something's wrong there. It, they could put no, it together, but something's not, not the right. They're not the same, but, but they're not the same team, but they still have immense offensive talent. Now, they don't have any running game, but their quarterback, their tight end, their receivers – and, you know, their defense is, hasn't been the same this year. They're not getting off the field on third down. 
And so some of the uh, the opportunistic stuff that the Eagles offense got last year with a shorter field or, or getting got teams off the field and, and taking advantage of field position or forcing turnovers, those things aren't happening. But the personnel is the same. So for me, I, I'm, I'm not by no means am I writing the Eagles off. But knowing we've got to play them twice, I wish we could have played them once in September when they were really coming off of their off season, just completely at a different mentality. They didn't. They weren't nearly as as hungry. They're going to get. They're going to get run twice here at New Orleans this weekend and at the Rams later in the season. I mean, who knows? The Rams could have 15 injuries between now and then. But that secondary is completely shot, isn't it? No, it is. But I'm telling. Listen, though, what I'm saying to you, Kevin, is they only have to be within two games. I know going into December because they've got us twice. Yep. And I, I wish that that wasn't looming out there because I worry about them. I just feel like of all of the teams that, that going into the year certainly had a, had a chance in the NFC, they've without question have left the most on the table. So I, I worry about them. The Redskins, I'm kind of going, what's going to happen? I mean, when is Crowder, is Crowder ever going to play again? Chris Thompson, I understand the ribs are a dicey thing, so that's, I kind of get that, and I don't question him at all. I, and I'm not questioning Crowder. I just it's like you forget he's on the team, and we need those two guys. You can't. It's hard. Listen, it's hard to win the division when your two best offensive players are a 33 year old running back and your punter. <laughs> all right, uh, we you and I could do this forever because I know you enjoy doing this more than what we're about to talk about. If you've got a few minutes, just to talk a little NBA yeah, and Wizards. Of course, yeah. Okay, sure. so. Um, the Wizards, wow, they've won two in a row, uh, wins over Miami and Orlando. And I don't know if you saw, because I know this drives you crazy too, like it drives me crazy. Beal talking about like you sh- people got John all pissed off. It's wolf season now. Did you see that after the after they beat Orlando? Um, yeah, I did. I did. So I did. your it's, your it's, take on them right now? Well, it's the mo, unfortunately, with this group. And um, I, going into this week. I said, it's hard to believe I'm saying this 12 games into any NBA season for any team. If there's ever been a must-sweep must week, it's this week. If this team wants to, to, to have anything um, with their season to be taken seriously, they have to sweep. You got, I think it's Orlando, Cleveland, Brooklyn, right? Yeah, they they got they have Cleveland tonight, Brooklyn Friday night, and then they've got a home home games against Portland and the Clippers following that. So yeah, but I mean, I know Steve. Look, Portland's ten and three, and the Clippers have been better than I thought. They're they're playing pretty well. So, the, like, those aren't like guaranteed. But if you don't get Orlando, Cleveland, and Brooklyn, and Brooklyn now without Karis Levert, their leading scorer. If you can't sweep that at home, when you start off the way you did and you don't show enough fight and desperation, when you have more talent than all three of those teams coming into your building, uh, none of those teams are going to be in the playoffs this year. If you can't get those three games, then I, then I, this whole thing, then you maybe you get swept by Portland and the Clippers, and this thing's completely off the rails, and you're blowing everything up. So even even at least for the short term take that off the table, you're going to have to win all three of these games. And and I heard the comments, and this has kind of been the MO with this team. I had someone the other day I was talking to about this team, and they said they don't think that they – you know, forget the talent conversation because it starts to get to the point where you go, maybe we're overselling the talent. But I don't know that we are, but I think maybe one thing that was brought to my attention might be true. Maybe they just don't love basketball enough. Maybe they just don't love – competing and have enough 
street fight in them individually that, that what you need to compete at this level and to make things happen, particularly a franchise that, that you know, hasn't won a title in 40 years. You would think that, that a group that was put together, if you have that kind of street fight in you, well, then you, you can be there with the teams like Boston, Philly, Toronto at, at the top, and you can be at least in the mix for that. I, I'm starting to wonder if maybe there's some, not some truth to that. It's more about the show than it is about actually the substance of what you're trying to do because that's what's bothered me about this team probably more than anything is the amount of mugging for the crowd, you know, you know, flexing on oh, a three-point play in a yeah. 12-8 game. Like, I don't, I don't understand at what point you put all that stuff away and you just have this complete business-like approach on your face, your demeanor, everything about you is, I am sick of it, we're turning it around, and they just haven't gotten there mentally. And that, to me, those comments the other night, it's, it's indicative of that. It's all just bluster. Like, like I don't want to hear anything more. I don't want to see any gesticulation on the court whatsoever. I don't care if you look miserable. I, right now, I want you to focus on being a better team, being more consistent, and, and being more professional. And that, I think, is what most people that cover the league want from the Wizards. I mean, I, I when they lost to Orlando last Friday night, they were down 25 at, some, at one point, and John Wall hits a driving shot to cut the lead to one with about two and a half to go. And he celebrated like they had just won the game. And in the yeah. moment, I, I was saying to, I think it was my son who was sitting there watching with me, it, it just drove me nuts. Everything you were just talking about, I'm like, damn it, the game is not over. Like, you just, you just celebrated like it was over. And, of course, what was... What came next was so predictable: an open three, a dry, you know, a, a missed driving layup where he's complaining about a foul that was completely not a foul, and they get outscored eleven to three. With, by the way, no offensive plan the rest of the way, which you and I have talked about going back to OKC with Scott Brooks. I like Scott a lot, and I know the players like him. I just don't understand when you have a team that needs more structure, which Wall and Beal need so desperately. How you don't adapt to that? I, I, they, they have no offensive structure, no plan except an occasional, you know, couple of down screens or you know a a, a two man ball screen game. That's it. That's all they have. I agree. I agree with you completely on that. And and as much as I like Scott, you know, if you really go back to Oklahoma City, it wasn't much different there. It was it was, but he just had two elite players. I mean, I, I always joke that you know, be great should not be the name of your offense. And I felt like that's kind of what they were in Oklahoma City and to a large extent the same thing in Washington. And one of the things that's really been puzzling is why match the offer sheet for Otto Porter if you aren't going to develop him offensively and and see what more you can get out of him? Because to me, and I'm not saying I would have matched it because I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have given Otto Porter $27 million a year. I, I, I wouldn't have because – I didn't know that he had enough of a diverse skill set offensively to justify marrying yourself to him as your third best player, and that's as good as you're going to be because that's what you did when you signed him to that, knowing what was going to happen with Wall and Beal financially. But they did it, and and ever since, I, I just don't see a guy that has progressed at all. He's regressed, and that's very strange to me because it's so critical that Otto Porter develop into a really good two-way player and, and I don't think there was any plan in place whatsoever to try to get more out of Otto Porter. He's just out there 
fending for himself. And you go long periods of time in the game, you don't notice Otto Porter's on the floor. And John Wall and Bradley Beal, I think they've proven by now. It's not enough to get it done with those two guys because it's very rare that they both play great on the same night. And even if they did, it might not be enough, but that's very rare when it happens. So if you can get a consistent third guy that's giving you 16, 17 a night in that third spot and, and you are running stuff for him and you're catering to his skill set to put little wrinkles into packages so that he has eight opportunities a game that you know are, are geared toward him, well, maybe he can start to get more confident and feel more comfortable with what he can do. He is a complete afterthought to the Washington Wizards, and that to me is bad management on the part of the front office because you don't give a guy that kind of money and then just go, well, uh, hopefully you'll turn into earning that. you got to help him, and they haven't. Yeah, I mean, there are two things that have happened um, in the last five years. I was dead set against them letting Trevor Ariza walk. I would have paid him whatever he wanted. He was a huge, high IQ, tough competitive leader on this team and I didn't want them to lose Gortat either. I I, I understand that Gortat you frustrated the fan base and probably frustrated John and Brad a lot, but there was a there was a mix with John and Gortat in the pick and roll game that was really natural. And you can say yeah. whatever you want about Gortat. He set great screens and could catch and finish with either hand. And if he had enough minutes would end up with double digit rebounds. I think they miss him too. I really do, and I know that most well, of the fan base thinks that that's insane, but I think they miss him. Well, I, I, I can tell you right now, the fan base might think I'm insane too because I'm telling you right now, I completely agree with you, and I said it at the time, and I said it when they get brought in Dwight Howard, and I'm pretty, I've been pretty uh, adamant over the years about how I feel about Dwight Howard, particularly since he left Orlando. And the other thing Gortat would do that Dwight Howard will not do, Gortat will set a screen and dive hard, Every single time, even if he hasn't touched the ball in right. a while, Dwight Howard will set the first couple and dive hard, and then start. Watch Dwight Howard as the game goes on, and how long it takes him to get from the three-point line to the rim when John Wall or Bradley Beal are coming off their screens. He's not even a threat to throw the ball to because how long it takes him to get there because he's not fully engaged in doing it because he wants he wants to be more important offensively. And so now you've got a guy that hey, physically there's no comparison between the two guys. And when Dwight Howard stands up and puts that uniform up in front of him at the press conference, you know, you go, oh, my God, look, look at this monster we have in the center now. Look at those shoulders. Look at this athletic ability. Dwight Howard hasn't been that guy in a really long time, and he's just not a guy that wants to put the hard hat on and grind it possession by possession. He doesn't. So, therefore, there's a lot of empty possessions with him on the floor that you weren't going to get with Gortat, even if Gortat couldn't do some of the things physically Dwight Howard could do. What he did do was set a tone, and you knew exactly what it was going to be every night. You really don't know possession by possession with Dwight Howard. All right, I've kept you long enough. Three quick things, and then uh, we're done, and I appreciate it so much. Number one, anybody out west a threat to Golden State? No, no, not at all. And, in fact, I think that the top two, maybe three, real, realistic threats to Golden State are in the Eastern Conference. All right, so who comes out of the East right now, in your view? Oh, man. It's more uh, wide open than anybody thought. 
because yeah, I th- definitely and and I'm 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 going to stick with the team that I pick going into the year, which is Boston. I just think Gordon Hayward is a shell of himself right now, and they had a massive adjustment to make with Kyrie and Hayward and those other guys that had expanded roles last year, figuring out how to play together. Toronto, Milwaukee, been incredible. Philly, obviously, you know who knows what what Jimmy Butler will do for them, but for me. I think offense, defense, and depth in coaching, I still like Boston. All right, last one. Have you ever seen anything in basketball close to what we're witnessing with Markel Fultz and his, his yips with his shooting? <laughs> you would know no. you're one of the great shooters in, 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 in NBA history in terms of just being a pure shooter. Have you ever seen anything like it? The only thing with specifically free throw shooting would be Chris Dudley. Um who who also was had the double clutch thing going and tried 87 different styles and he actually was unfortunate in playing in an era when it was three to make two so sometimes <laughs> he'd be up there three times in a row or he'd have multiple lane violations so he'd have to miss four in a row. Um, that's the only thing with regard to free throw shooting as far as a guy that looked this good in the AAU circuit when I coached not only coached him but coached against him and then we saw some in Washington and be the number one pick. To look the way he looks, no, there is no comparison, probably in NBA history. I have no idea what happened to him. Um, it's, 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 it's obviously mental and physical, but I'm actually at the point, I know it's a small sample size for him, I don't think this is going to turn around. I, I, I think Markel Fultz is going to go down as one of the biggest busts in NBA history. All right, thanks so much. I, I appreciate the time. It's it's uh, We don't have limits in this podcast world, and I, I love the conversation with you. Really appreciate it. I'll talk to you soon. Oh, yeah, you got it, Kevin. Anytime, man. Let me spend a moment uh, real quickly to tell you about Farish Chrysler Dodge Jeep in Fairfax. They should be on your list if you're considering a new vehicle. Uh, right now, they've got plenty of inventory on their lot. Every make, model, and color of the car or SUV or truck or minivan that you're looking for is very likely on the lot. You'll be able to drive it home today. Lots of Jeeps, the Compass Sport, the Compass Latitude, Jeep Renegades, lots of Cherokees, Grand Cherokees, and Wranglers. And if you're thinking about a minivan, the Chrysler Pacifica right now, deals are as good as you'll get all year long. I've mentioned Ralph Perkins and Kevin Farish many times over the years. They are smart. They know what their customers want. Uh, They make it easy for their customers. And I promise you that if you give them a chance, they're not going to disappoint. So if you're thinking about something new, first of all, you can just go to FarishCars.com. They've got their live inventory, live pricing. It's an easy to navigate website to find what you're looking for. So just go to FarishCars.com. But if you head out to Fairfax, they're right there in Fairfax Circle. Ask for Ralph Perkins when you get there. Ralph's a good friend of mine. He's in the store every day. Tell him that you heard about it on the podcast, and they will put you in touch with their best salesperson and get you the best deal possible. FarishCars.com or Farish Chrysler Dodge Jeep right there in Fairfax Circle. All right, let's uh, let's do some NFL buy or sell. Are you buying or are you selling? NFL buy or sell. Okay, you know, I was I was doing um, one of those look-aheads to the possible playoff matchups in the AFC in particular, because the AFC right now is interesting, because if you assume, and it may be too early to totally assume this, I mean, the Chiefs could lose to the Rams, they could lose to the Chargers, they play the Chargers at Arrowhead, uh, but more likely than not, the Chiefs are going to be the number one seed in the AFC, and so now the race is on for that number two seed. And right now, the Steelers would be the number two seed 
in the AFC. They've got some games left. They have to go to New Orleans. They still have uh, a game. Well, they're playing at Jacksonville this week. I don't know if that's a losable game for them, the way Jacksonville's playing. And they do have a massive game late in the year against the Patriots. That game in Pittsburgh against the Patriots, which I think is on December 15th or 16th, will likely decide the two seed in the AFC. And I think this is the year where if New England doesn't get that first round by and get a home game, they're out early. And so that's what I would sell right now, is I would sell New England as a Super Bowl team. Uh, I don't believe in Kansas City. You've heard me say that all year long. I don't think their defense is good enough. Um, I think the AFC playoffs are going to be very interesting. Like I think there are teams that may come out of the AFC South, like a Houston, potentially a Tennessee. Who knows? The Colts still could have a run say, in I was going to say, Indianapolis might be the best team right now in the South. Do you know that uh, right now the Colts have the most improved offensive uh, line that line we've seen in great. modern NFL history? It's a great offensive line right now in terms of protecting Quentin Nelson Andrew is Luck. a beast. Beast. So, you know, and I'm, I'm not going to even mention the team up I-95 about 35 miles from here because right now they don't even look like they're a team that would qualify for the postseason. You, but don't, you don't believe in Lamar Jackson? Is it, has it been determined that he's going it, to start? It's not official, but all signs right now says there, yes. There's no line on the game right now because Flacco may not play, and I will tell you that from what I've read, I don't know this for fact, but from some of the beat reporters – Nobody's very confident that Lamar Jackson is ready to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. Uh, if he does start, you know who the backup is. RG3. For their game Sunday at home against the Bengals. Um, so uh, the first thing I'm going to sell is I'm going to sell the New England Patriots as a Super Bowl team. Of course that is likely premature i mean they they'll probably you know off of their blowout loss to the titans they'll probably destroy the jets beat the vikings beat the dolphins and then go to pittsburgh and win and somehow end up being the number one seed because remember they beat the chiefs so if they went 13 and 3 and the chiefs went 13 and 3 that then the road would go through foxborough but i just i'm not selling the patriots like they don't have a chance i just think that they're not the same team that's going to go into pittsburgh and win a playoff game. Um, I don't know that they would go into Arrowhead and win. I don't think the Chiefs are going to be in the Super Bowl either, but the AFC playoffs, very, very interesting this year. There's a lot that could happen. Um, all right, the team that I'm going to buy, uh, just because right now, you know, at four and five, you can get them for a cost that's, that's worth it. I think there's something to this Seattle team, um, and I think they're going to beat the Packers on Thursday night, uh, and they've got the Niners twice. They've got the Cardinals. They have games in which they can help themselves in a wild card chase against Carolina in Minnesota, as an example. It's a good football team. They've played really well, uh, Seattle has. They very easily could have beaten the Rams not once, but twice. They had chances to win those games. I think Seattle makes a run here over the next three, four weeks, and they are in contention for an NFC wild card. They're obviously not going to win the division. In fact, I think the Rams could clinch the division Monday night with a win if Seattle loses Thursday night to the Packers. Uh, do I have anything else that I want to buy or sell? I'm still not buying the Bears. 
I'm just not buying them. That game Sunday night against the Vikings at Soldier Field is a huge game in the NFC North. I'm not buying the Packers, and I know that that you know, could really be dangerous because Aaron Rodgers is going to figure out a way to win another five or six games, I guess. Um, and at the same time, uh, I, I am, like I did the last couple weeks, I like Houston and I like Tennessee as teams. And I think I like Indy as a team, too. All right, thanks to Aaron, thanks to Tim Legler, thanks to Cooley, who joined the show today. Have a great day. Back tomorrow with Tommy.